Welcome to the Edge Podcast, your home for recruiting news and team analysis inside the Oregon State Beavers football, basketball, and baseball programs. BeaversEdge.com is the authority on all things Oregon State athletics. Now, here's your host, BeaversEdge.com editor, Mike Singer. Edge Podcast coming to you on a Wednesday. Brendan Slaughter, Mike Singer here. Brendan, how's everything going, my man? Uh, it's going good. You know, Oregon State's got a big trip up to Husky Stadium this weekend uh, to play the Washington Huskies. A lot of big uh, storylines going around with Jonathan Smith's return to Seattle. The Beavers are wrapping up the final two games of their season. Um, we're in the home stretch. It's an exciting time. And uh, even though Oregon State didn't play their best game against Stanford last week, uh, it's a new week. And it's always exciting when a former coach takes on his team. I, that's what I like about you, Brendan. You don't you don't waste any time. You jump right into to talking talking ball, man. I like that about <laughs> you. Um, a few few things we want to chat about before we really get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast here. Uh, so go over some headlines. If you head over to beaversedge.com, some articles you will see. Um, first, let's go some articles on Tuesday. You have Oregon State baseball announces the 2019 schedule. Um, what uh, we were talking off air, uh, what they're going to playing at uh, Safeco, yeah, which is pretty cool. Of course, they're starting the season at Surprise, playing New Mexico and Gonzaga and Minnesota, uh, Nebraska, even West Virginia's coming to Corvallis. Yep. Um, the Beavs play Minnesota, Indiana, and Coastal Carolina. Uh, in Safeco, and that's in March. Um, San Diego State's on the non-conference schedule. Um, we got uh, Portland um, uh, a couple times, I believe. So, got the uh, yeah the 2019 baseball schedule. Um, thought Oregon State did a good job releasing that on social media. Had a little hype with it. Um, defending national champions, of course. Um, we got uh, five things to know about the Washington Huskies, an article I wrote. Um, basically just looking at Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin and maybe how they've regressed from the 2016 and 2017 seasons to now, especially Browning. Um, man, his look at his analytics. Um, his grade from 2016 was like a 90 and then dropped down to like a 70. So check that out. Learn a little bit more about uh, the Washington defense as well and kind of what their Achilles heel has been this season. Hint, it's their pass rush, which could be good for Jake Luton. But then again, their secondary is extremely good. So make sure to check out five things to know about the Washington Huskies on beaversedge.com. Uh, also, you got the Beaver's Edge uh, Tuesday notebook from Brendan Slaughter talking with Brian Lindgren and some of the offensive players. Um, so make sure to check that out. Uh, Brendan, how was uh, availability on Tuesday? Kind of give us some uh, a, a little preview of sorts for that article. Yeah, no, uh, Tuesday was good. Um, you know, just kind of getting back into the offensive flow of things. And I feel like the Oregon State offense kind of feels like they – you know, missed some opportunities against Stanford. You know, we saw them have, you know, flashes of, you know, doing a, some good things. And then you kind of saw like that interception that Jake Luton had early where the team was just completely on, you know, separate pages. So look for that to get cleaned up this week. You know, it's obviously frustrating for Oregon State fans to continue to see the the losses mount up and, you know, so on and so forth. But, 
you know, I, I'm still confident this team's headed the right direction. Uh, you know, Trayvon Bradford told us today or told us Tuesday, excuse me, that, you know, like compared to last year, right at the same point when Oregon State was, you know, muddling through a tough season, you know, uh, players weren't necessarily bought in. Players are still bought in. The confidence is still there. Um, you know, the team is together. So that's all good. And that's all good things. And, um, you know, it's a it's a it's a rebuild. It's going to take some time. And, um, it's going to be exciting to see how the team plays up in Seattle this weekend. But uh, most notably on Tuesday, like you mentioned, the Oregon State baseball schedule. Uh, it was exciting to see that get released and see, you know, kind of what this, at least interimly, the new future of Oregon State baseball is under Pat Bailey as Pat Casey is, in theory, rode off to the sunset for at least a little while to be determined on Pat Casey. And um, Oregon State's going to find out a lot about their pitching, which is supposed to maybe be one of the deepest positions or deepest groups, uh, pitching groups they've ever had in school history, really in that stretch in March, when you've got West Virginia in three games, a pretty solid opponent. Then when you go up to Safeco field and you play three teams that are perennial, uh, postseason contenders, I mean, Minnesota, heck of a series last year in the super regionals, um, in Goss stadium, Indiana Beavers have faced off against them in Omaha before, uh, a couple great matchups, and then Coastal Carolina, national champion, just a couple seasons ago. So I like how tough this schedule is. I think it prepares them well for what we expect to be another deep Omaha run. And that's Brendan Slaughter talking, our all-everything reporter here, boots on the ground for BeaversEdge.com. Love it, Brendan. Uh, on Monday night, we had a live chat with members um, where I reveal some recruiting nuggets and take some questions about recruiting and different team stuff. Um, and I had six in-depth nuggets, uh, and these are premium, uh, this is premium content at the damn board at beaversedge.com. But I do want to read for you guys nugget number one. Uh, and the, just to basically, if you're not a subscriber to give you some, uh, uh basically a look at, at some of the stuff we have. And, and I feel like this was really, uh, some really good stuff I heard on Tristan Jebbia, uh, and the other Oregon state transfer. So I'm going to go ahead and read off my nugget, um, from Monday night. So on the damn board, we get a question probably once every week or two asking how the transfers have looked at practice. The media isn't allowed to watch any portion of practice during the season, so our writer Brendan Slaughter is not able to check them out. But I talked to a couple sources that, let's just say, know what's going on in practice. On Tristan Jebbia, Avery Roberts, and Tyjon Lindsay, remember Addison Gums isn't enrolling until January, so he's not included in this. I'm hearing that they've lived up to their reputation coming in. Translation, these guys are the real deal. All three, I'm told, are impressive kids on and off the field. I've heard the most about Jebbia, and everything I've been told has been very encouraging. I'd be surprised if he is not the starter game one next year. I've questioned if he's too skinny, but my source says that his build is fine. Yes, he has a leaner frame, but he's not skinny. As far as his play at practice, I'm told he's very accurate, has a strong arm, is a great leader, a great studier, and he loves the game. Jebbia is a film junkie. He'll be a redshirt sophomore next year, and I think he'll be a three-year starter for the Beavers. Brendan, when you hear that, it gets you pretty excited, you know, that... uh. Jebbia really could be the next uh, real deal for Oregon State at quarterback, you know, the second coming of Sean Mannion. Well, I mean, you know, obviously uh, that, that, that's exciting news. And for an Oregon State team that, you know, is kind of like, well, we're 
trying this whole quarterback thing out this year with a three-headed duo or trio of Jack Coletto, Jake Luton, Connor Blount, and all some way, shape, or form this season with Luton kind of being the guy uh, looking like the remainder this season. But Oregon State needs a guy who can come in, and like you said in that nugget, Mike, they need a guy that can be a three-year starter, a guy that can you know, start the – start that process of being that team leader, being the team leader for a couple couple years, building that chemistry with the receivers. So it's not a res- revolving door. You know, you look at some of these guys from the last couple of years and it's been um, one quarterback one week, another quarterback the next week, you know, uh, one quarterback for half the season, another quarterback for half the season. And it comes back to what we talked about earlier. And that was keeping whoever it is at quarterback healthy. And that's, you know, Oregon State is one of the, you know, uh, we're, if not the worst uh, power five team when it comes to defending against sacks and, you know, whether it's Tristan Jebbia, Jake Luton or whoever it is, the Beavers have to get better up front to protect, you know, in this case, perhaps the star of the future uh, when Jebbia gets under center next year. And I'm real excited for his future. So that's breaking down the, the Monday and Tuesday content at edge and want to kind of get into Wednesday depending on when you're listening to this podcast this these articles may might be up already or not or the, these things might have already happened but um, of course you have this podcast um, Oregon State commitment tracker breaking down uh, the 2019 commits where they are in their playoff runs uh, some good stuff there um, I believe national signing days tomorrow for basketball and I will um I wrote, I, that's down on my calendar. I'm Googling it right now. And yes, tomorrow is um, the early period for basketball. So, and this doesn't really get a lot of pub, but um, this is the thing that's happening. Um, it's not as big of an event as football signing day, <laughs> um, but um, for the women's program, the Beavers are signing uh, a couple of high profile prospects. You have uh, Taylor Jones. Uh, five-star post from Texas, 6'3", the number eight post player, according to ESPN, number 42, um, ranked overall recruit in the country. And then, of course, Kennedy Brown, uh, another five-star prospect. She's from Kansas, 6'6", six six, 19 overall prospect in the country, and the number four post, uh, a scout grade of 98. So Scott Ruick's squad just keeps killing it on the recruiting front it's it's quite amazing just what a program he's built in Corvallis and and what he inherited it's it's honestly stunning and then on the basket men's basketball front you got uh, Johnny Hunt uh, Jared Lucas and Julian Franklin all three-star guards from California Johnny Hunt is a six foot 270 pounder uh, Jared Lucas, six foot three, hundred eighty pounds, and Julian Franklin's a little bit longer, six foot six, hundred eighty pounds. So there's that, and also at eleven a.m. Uh, tomorrow, um, the when the women's uh, basketball season kicks off. Uh, can't remember who they're playing off the top of my head, but Scott Ruick's team kicks off its 2018-2019 season. Um, Actually, second game, right? They played Cal Poly uh, last Friday, so Arkansas yeah, Pine Bluff. Game. Yep, eleven yep, a.m. Se- second game tomorrow. It's gonna be uh, tomorrow is actually the really you know really unique game of the year for Scott Rook and his staff as they have the game at eleven a.m. Uh, solely for the purpose of being able to invite all the 
all the I forget what exactly the age range is, but they bring in a bunch of you know they invite a bunch of different local schools around the area to bring kids in from Albany and Corvallis during the school day and watch a game and you know all these kids come in and watch it for free and get a chance to meet the players and stuff. Uh, really high class move by you know Scott Ruick, who we all know is one of the best in the business and. Oregon State women's basketball is off to a really, really good start. You know, they played Cal Poly, won pretty convincingly. Destiny Slocum lived up to, or at least so far, shows that she's got the stuff. And um, that's a team that, you know, is top 10 for a reason. They're that good. Yeah, and um, the Beavers play again this Saturday against St. Mary's and and then on November 22nd uh, against Western Kentucky and Vancouver, Canada. Um, in the Vancouver showcase, the Beavers are there that week. Isn't that Thanksgiving? They're playing against things. They're playing on Thanksgiving. Yes, they are. That is correct. That is correct. That Brendan, is correct. we got. We're, we're off that day, man. We're, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I hope so. We got the Civil War the next day at ele- at one p.m. Yep. So it's going to be a busy couple of days. That's a lot of football. Yeah. Of football. So looking at the Cal Poly box score, Oregon State in that game. Um, Michaela Pivik played 34 minutes, um, and then Destiny Slocum only played 25, just interesting. Um, Pivik had 15 points on 7-13 shooting, 9 rebounds. Slocum, 15 points, 2 rebounds, 8 assists. Uh, Kat Tudor had 14 points, 4-7 shooting from deep. Destiny Slocum also shot 4-7 from deep, so... Three-point shooting uh, should be a, a strong point of this team. Malia Goodman shot one of six from three-point range in that game and had just five points. She'll get things turned around. Um, Andrea Aquino did not play. There's kind of been some rumors um, that she's going to redshirt, uh, might have an injury. We'll kind of see on that. Um, I'm sure Scott Ruick will get asked that eventually. Starting lineup, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to the Oregon State football here pretty soon, but starting lineup against Cal Poly, you had, and I thought this was interesting, so you had um, Joanna Grimick uh, at center, and she only played 19 minutes. Actually, Taya Corosdale played 24 off the bench. But you, and then, so Oregon State basically had like a four-guard lineup, and then Grimick in the middle. So you had Katie McWilliams, Kat Tudor, Destiny Slocum, and Michaela Pivik, who I would argue are the four best players on the team, have them all in the starting lineup. Uh, I, I would guess McWilliams would be like the four. I, I, yeah. Well, McWilliams is like 6'3", um, so a six. pretty... Yeah, no, McWilliams is listed at six as listed at six four and you know, we talked to our media day last week and Scott kinda got asked a little bit about, you know, what that lineup would look like, knowing that they might go with that kind of four guard lineup and he said he feels extremely comfortable with Katie playing the four and I think it could be interesting for the Beavers, you know, given that they could even go with Taya Corsdale at the five and go a little smaller if they wanted to. Um, they've you know, Scott told us last week this is the most versatile and deep team that he's probably ever had and they can go a lot of different ways. They can go really tall and go with Patricia Morris and uh, Joe Grimmick uh, at the two forward spots and then round out the guards with shooters. They could go, in theory, five shooters if you put Taya Kersdale at the five. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that still are waiting to be seen. But Destiny Slocum, I think, is the key to that kind of unlocked everything for the Beavers because now Michaela Pivik can move to a more off-guard role where she's more comfortable yep. uh, and, it's a great and is point. now – and is now more comfortable knowing that she had to play point guard, a uh, better player for it, in my opinion. Uh, you know, you combine that with Cat Tudor's, you know, three-point shooting, which is out of this world, and then Aaliyah Goodman as well. And, 
you know, there's there's not a you know they've they, they've got to still test themselves a little bit. They've got some young pieces, but there's not uh, not a lot to not like about uh, Scott Rook's team this year. They don't uh, rebuild at this point. They just reload. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, they're what the number eight team in the country yep. and number three in the Pac-12. It's it's crazy just how yep. good the conference is. Oregon State is just sick this year. And you know what about this Oregon State women's basketball team? It, I call this is the Warriors effect. the The Warriors, the Golden State Warriors, literally have changed basketball to the college women's basketball level. We're they talking have. about You're... spreading the floor, jacking up threes, small yep. ball lineups. This is the Golden State Warriors effect, and I love the Warriors. Well, it's 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 funny you mention that because just in passing, a couple uh, at media day, you know, I told. You know, I, I, Scott Rook. Just as we were kind of finishing up the media huddle, I was, I was like, "Oh, you guys want to want to run a lot more, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, you know, it could be fun. Get some shooters out in space." And he's like, "I like to move at a high tempo. You know, high tempo all the time." And I go, a "Little Golden State Warriors esque." He goes, "Maybe you're onto something, Brendan." <laughs> Good so, stuff, man. No, in, in, in all honesty, no. I mean, I, I you know, Scott Rook uh, is a, a, you know, he's a disciple of the game of basketball. Um, I know that. He watches a lot of NBA, or not a lot, but a good amount of NBA basketball. He can always, uh, you know, tell you what's going on with the, you know, at least the Portland Trailblazers in the areas. He's a local guy, but you know, you're right. The the age of college basketball trickled, or from NBA trickled to college and women's basketball, and now you have almost positionless basketball everywhere, and uh, it, it's leading to an exciting brand of basketball, and it's selling a lot of tickets. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's it's exciting to see when teams go five shooters and can go up and down the floor at a high pace and shoot a lot of threes. You know, we didn't plan on talking this much basketball, but <laughs> things just kind of happen this way. And yeah. so we're talking about, okay, small ball shooting lineups, right? Let's talk about the men's team. Their starting lineup, um, Ethan Thompson, Stevie Thompson, wings. Trace Tinkle, probably more of a, he's more of a natural three, but he's a small ball four. Um, and I, not even small ball four now, it's just natural, uh, or not natural, but that's just the game of basketball. Now he's more of a four cause he's six, eight. And then you have Alfred Hollins. Um, that's, a, that's a small lineup too. And with big G in the middle, uh, it's kind of the same kind of deal. Maybe not, uh, as, um, guard heavy as the women's lineup. Cause I would yep. say Hollins and Tinkler more real forwards but i would say they're more small forwards both of them but in, you know today's basketball they can both kind of play that four spot uh and then i'm looking at the number so with the women's team grimick didn't play as much in this game i'm looking at uh we're gonna say wyoming the beefs won 83 64 on saturday big g only played 12 minutes kyler kelly who is another seven footer i believe um, he can actually play the four or the five uh, because of his athleticism and shooting ability. He played 21 minutes, six of eight from the field, 12 points. Uh, yep. uh, putting in uh, some um, alley-oops, had four blocks. Kyler Kelly, uh, junior college product uh, in the state of Oregon, looking really good. Um, Trace Tinkle was amazing in that game, 28 yep. points on 12 of 18, shooting uh, 11 rebounds, five assists. Trace Tingle's I, looking good, man. Well, I tell you what, we can mark it down here um, as we're recording this podcast forever in the years. You know, I got a chance to watch a little bit of that Wyoming game and, you know, kind of was just, you know, just in passing a little bit, just kind of keeping an eye on it. And then I looked at the box score. Trace Tinkle has all the abilities to, prob- to potentially be, and, and given his 
I think Trace Tinkle is maturing at the absolute right time for him as a player. He's only a redshirt junior because he redshirted a couple years ago with that wrist injury. But Trace Tinkle's putting up numbers right now. Like, Mike, if he continued on this path, and we know he can because this is what Trace Tinkle does. If he can sustain it, not get hurt, I don't doubt he's going to get significant NBA interest this offseason because if he can bring up his three-point shooting, which is one of the last parts of his game that needs to be honed in, at six foot seven, six foot eight, I'm not sure exactly what Tinkle's listed at. He is a prototypical, prototypical stretch four, three and D wing the NBA is looking for. And I think with his versatility, he could carve out a very, very nice niche in the NBA. Here's a player comparison for uh, Tinkle. If you if you say Gordon Hayward, no, Mike. no, 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 not. <laughs> I, I don't. I just Hayward. I think is quicker than um, than Tinkle. How about Joe Ingles for the Utah Jazz? I like that, and I but I think I think Tink I, I think uh, Ingles is a little better, th- obviously a better three point shooter. But I think Tinkle's better at taking the ball off the dribble and driving to the basket. And you know, um, again, a six foot eight, six foot seven wing that can dribble, and we know Trace has really good dribbling ability. And that's the one thing is you could isolate him, back him down in the post. He's got a nice lefty jump shot. Um, there's no reason that if Oregon State plays to their potential this year, they need some front court help. They need to continue to shore up the point guard area, make sure that you know Ethan and Stevie, whoever runs it, you know they get better production than they have the last couple of years without a true point guard. Uh, this team, I think, could be very solid in the Pac-12. Like you know, a fourth, fifth, sixth place finish, I don't think is uh, unrealistic. I think we all know that the class of the Pac-12 looks like it's shaping up down in Eugene with uh, the monster that Dana Altman's created down there in terms of the talent. But uh, Oregon State, I think, could quietly surprise some people this year. they got a lot of solid pieces and a ton of veteran talent. Worried about the bench play at all, though? Just kind of looking at the numbers from the first two games, nothing really exciting. It's um, not going to be – I don't think it's going to be much. And that's that's the thing is, you know, the Beavers don't have that deep bench. And, you know, uh, you look at some of those guys like – I think a guy that could come up and kind of get better as the season goes along is a guy like Warren Washington. I okay. think he'll get, I think he'll get a little better as the season goes along. I, I think Jack Wilson is probably the most likely of that group of Kyler Kelly, uh, him, uh, Warren Washington, and Jack Wilson to redshirt. So I think Wilson will maybe be the guy that redshirts, depending. But uh, the Beavers are going to need more production from the bench because it's not just a starting game. Tinkle and and the Thompson brothers, Hollins are going to need some puffs from time to time. And, you know, you look last year, that scoring, even when they won games, kind of came from some different places. You know, last year, Seth Berger had a couple big games uh, yeah. for the Beavers, points-wise, rebounds-wise. Um, they're going to need someone to be that sixth man, and it hasn't really come up yet. But uh, you never know. They got they got some young guards still, some guys that could make impacts. Um, it's early. Jack Wilson's already played, so he's he can't redshirt. Vernon's played, Jordan Campbell's played, Warren Washington's played, all these guys have played. So Oregon State's playing a lot of their true freshmen. Yeah. Um, got to get them involved, though. you got a lot of bigs that need to get seasoned. Yeah, I, th- for sure. I think Zach Reichel has to be... Uh, Reichel's the guy that, that I like, too, you know? Man, I'm looking at this lineup. Um, I, I feel like if they... So they have such a, a solid starting five in in terms of the Thompson brothers are great, Tinkle's great, and I think Alfred Hollins is a solid kind of like um, I hate to throw out a duck, but Jordan Bell kind of just that energy guy is not a great yep, offensive I player. Um, I love basketball. This this this, this really <laughs> fires me up. Um, I like it too. It's good stuff. Yeah, but I I almost feel like they should put maybe. 
one of those guys on the bench. So when that second unit kind of comes in, that they have some scoring off the bench. I mean, otherwise they need Reichel to step up. Um, it seems like he might be that him or he, he's the, the, the next guy up as, as far as a wing player off the bench, yep. Kyler Kelly's going to need to score. Um, but the guy I'm really looking at is Jordan Campbell. I think yep. uh, as a kind of a slashing, uh, you know, get the ball to the rim kind of player. Jordan Campbell needs to step up. He played two minutes against UC Riverside and two minutes against Wyoming. So, uh, looks like he's maybe not much of the rotation, but uh, Antoine Vernon played 17 minutes against Wyoming, and let's see, two minutes against um, UC Riverside. So we'll see. Right now, I mean, it's early. Looking yeah. at the numbers, this team may just be seven or eight deep, which they need to go eight or nine consistently. Um, otherwise, just playing those starters a lot, get them worn down. Injury prone potentially, yeah. knocking on wood there. Um, yep. But lots of women, lots of women's and men's basketball talk. I wasn't really expecting that. So as we kind of wrap things up, um, not that we're doing that super soon, but I do want to make sure we talk some football. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> One thing we've talked about uh, on the board this week and in articles and off the air, Brendan, is um, this Washington offense without Jonathan Smith and has Washington's offense has not been that great this season. I wrote this in my five things to know about the Huskies that um, if the Huskies offense was better this season, they may beat Auburn because Auburn won and I think 21 to 16. So if that Huskies offense is better, they might beat Auburn. Um, their other losses were, were, you know, pretty close games that uh, the, the cow loss was like 12 to 10. If their offense is better, they might beat cow. Um, so, Jonathan Smith's not there. Offense takes a step back and regresses. Is Jonathan Smith the reason that that offense had so much success? Because Smith has been with Peterson since the Boise days. I think he started as a quarterback's coach um, for the Broncos back in the day and then became the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that, Brendan? Well, I mean... Uh, you know, here, here's, here's my two cents on it. And, you know, it's, it's been obviously a, a difficult year for Washington by their standards. They had college football playoff hopes coming into the year. Uh, you know, they had uh, two seniors in miles Gaskin, Jake Browning leading them. And, you know, that, that, that game in basic, basically, you know, it was in Georgia, but basically a home game for Auburn down in uh, the uh, new Atlanta stadium down there to open the year. Uh, that's tough and that's about as tough and you know that kind of set the tone for you know you know that was just a big measuring stick in the college football playoff world and where the Pac-12 was and Washington was right there but just couldn't get over the hump and and they've had a couple tough losses since a real tough loss to Oregon and then um, obviously uh, a tough loss to Cal as well but the biggest thing with Washington's offense and and I think Jonathan Smith has a lot to do with it but I think Jake Browning, uh, I think he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback. And I think we look back at, you know, the analytics will back this up. I think Jake Browning was a lot better when, you know, this is just a given in any situation. When you had, when he had, you know, players like John Ross and Dante Pettis, who are both starting in the NFL at wide receiver right now, you know, um, he had weapons. I mean, John Ross, the year they went to the college football playoff was perhaps the most electric 
athlete in college football that, you know, from a receiver position had something like 20, 18, 20 touchdowns. Uh, he's, you know, starting now for the Cincinnati Bengals. You got Dante Pettis starting for the San Francisco 49ers right now. So they lost some weapons. They haven't had, um, you know, Chico McClatcher was a guy who was a wide receiver who was on that group, just devastated by injuries, hasn't been the same player. So I think it's been a combination of everything. And then obviously losing your offensive coordinator, Jake Browning, who had been there for with you for multiple years, switching to someone new, that's always an adjustment. Regardless, some players handle it better than others. But, you know, Washington is still a very good team. They're still fighting for a Rose Bowl bid. Um, they could win out the year and still get to the Rose Bowl. Um, Will they be looking ahead maybe to the matchup with the Cougars and Pullman next week? Maybe a little bit, but uh, Chris Peterson also is, you know, probably thinking that he's going to have to show up on his former foe a little bit this weekend too. So a lot of things going into it. You know, Washington has plenty of reason to be scanning ahead to the next week, but maybe that works in Oregon State's favor with Jonathan Smith, who, you know, sneakily, you know, maybe has an ace up his sleeve. Boo freaking who for Jake Browning. He's still got tons <laughs> of weapons. Miles Gaskin and, and that Ahmed cat, uh, the running back. I mean, I'm sure he's got some talented wide receivers. The receivers aren't there, Mike. I, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. You cannot say that there's two guys in that Washington receiving core right now that are John Ross and Dante Pettis level, and I think that changes everything. I really <sighs> do. That offense is so play-action-based with setting up the run game. When you, you know, they have, you know, we saw against Oregon where they'd play action and they'd run two receivers. Washington sometimes runs two, three receivers on crossing routes. They love to run play action. And Brendan, do you think Oregon State has two starting level NFL, NFL wide receivers on their team? Oh, abs- I was going to say absolutely not, but it's tough because I think that there's one guy on that uh, in the receiving core right now that would have a chance, and that's Isaiah Hodgins because of his size. Uh, I love Trayvon Bradford, um, a little small, undersized, would probably struggle to make it, but you never know. Uh, Hodgins well, my, is probably... My point is, so if Oregon State doesn't have two NFL starting wide receivers, does that mean the offense has every excuse in the world? I feel I, I don't know, I feel like you're giving Browning a, a big pass here because no, he lost I mean, his... Yeah, know. I mean, I think it's just a combination of things. I get where you're coming from for sure, and, and maybe I am giving Browning a little bit of a pass, but, you know, this is a kid that, you know, his, his uh, I believe, yeah, it was sophomore season. Yep. Took the Huskies to a college football playoff. And I that's wonder impressive. what his legacy is like because that sophomore season was so great, and then yeah, junior right. season was like, I mean, uh, when I was looking at the stats today, it was like something like 19 touchdowns, 8 picks. Like, not bad, but he regressed, and then this season's been, like, worse yeah. it's like it's like 13 and 5 or something this season is um, it possible he's just an average quarterback who was made really good by a good team around him in 2016 he's like the leading uh passer in school history and, and i'm sure the fans are like get rid of this guy uh, it's crazy it really it's is. hard it's hard to say i mean you know browning's a talented kid and i'd certainly like to have him at oregon state and i'm sure jonathan smith would too and he talked about it this week and said you know, he hasn't seen too much of a dip off from Jake Browning, but he kind of mentioned, you know, transitions are interesting. And, you know, Chris Peterson, obviously, this is the first year uh, with a new offensive coordinator in uh, Bush uh, Hamden. And it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, if they continue to keep that offensive coordinator role. I mean, scoring 10 points against Cal in a loss 
uh, just a couple weeks ago. That's you know that that's a real tough pill for Washington to swallow, and you know that's that's just not up to their level of football when they were putting up 40s just a couple years ago. It's it's odd for Washington. It just something feels off for them. So last season, Beavers got blown out by Washington, but I think it was like seven to seven at uh, halftime or 14-7, mm-hmm. something like that. The year before, uh, so the last time the Beavs played at Seattle, I believe it was uh, AP and Nall were both out, and Tim Cook ran for like 100 yards. Tim Cook, yep, he did. Sure uh, did. Looking Tim at it now, 18 carries, 108 yards, and a touchdown. Victor Bolden had, had a touchdown run in that game. Um, yep. So Oregon State lost that game 41-17. to The line for Saturday, I think it's like 32 or 33 points. Do you think Oregon State can cover? It depends on what kind of mood Chris Peterson's in. <laughs> I, I, it's, 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 it, no, honestly, it really does because I think, I think, you know, uh, I think Oregon State will play tough. I think they'll, you know, do as much as they can. But I think this is a case where Washington's defense is too good for the Beavers to consistently move. And I just don't know if their defense being on the field all day, how that's going to work out for them. But, um, you know, I, I could see this going a couple different ways. You know, if Chris Peterson wants to, you know, uh, you know, kind of put Smith in the punchline and the Beavers in the punchline a little bit and kind of get some momentum, I think this team could run up 40, 50 points on the Beavers. Um, but I could also see it the other way where maybe the Huskies jump out to an early lead. They kind of coast from there on. It would, not be, um, it would not be hard for them to put up 40 or 50 points. Stanford put up almost 40 and a half of football, so... Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's the thing is if Chris Peterson, I, I don't expect just with the level of respect that he has with Jonathan Smith for him to, you know, keep his foot on the gas. So I think if it's, you know, out of reach, you know, it'll, it won't get super ugly, but it's just hard to tell because Washington had a bye week you know, they, they had an extra week to get ready for Oregon state. You figure that's probably getting ready for Washington state a little bit, knowing how important that matchup is. But uh, it, it's it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. But make sure to check out the Beaver's Edge game prediction. I'll have something good by Friday. Right, definitely. Yeah, our boy uh, Mitch Manji picked Oregon State to beat Stanford. <laughs> got to throw that out there. Um, yeah, he's got to live with that one. <laughs> so they had the bye week, then they play Oregon State. I feel like if they get a good lead, have the starters sit the bench in the second half, and then you have basically a like two bye weeks, you know? like. Yep. Um, so that's that's definitely not a bad thing for them. Um, so l- let's put the over-under at Oregon State total points at, say, 17. Over-under 17. We'll take the over on that. I, I, think, I think the most likely scenario that I think, I think Washington puts up about 40 or 50, and I think the Beavers put up 20 to 24 if I had to put my finger on it. My Stanford game prediction was 31 to 13. And then on the board, people are like, Mike, Oregon State's going to score more than 13. I was like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> I was darn close. I said it was 31, yeah. 13. And I think you picked a close game. Mitch picked an upset. And I'm like, man, I hate being that guy. But, Cause when you <laughs> right. pick Oregon State to get blown out, it's a lose, lose because like, no one's like, yeah, Mike, you're so smart. No one's happy. No but, one's happy. Right. And I'm only going to get crap. People are like, no, we're going to upset them every week. And I'm like, okay. But then if Oregon State wins, then I look stupid. So Yeah, no kidding, right? There's no win-win. When There's Jack no- Coletto started that Colorado game, I was like, this is going to be a 40-point game. Like, I just did not think Oregon State was going to be able to do anything with, with Coletto offensively. But little did we know that uh, Jake Luton was going to come in and basically pull a Paul Pierce into the 2008 uh, playoffs when Paul Pierce came off of a uh, – um, 
wheelchair and just destroyed. I can't even remember. I think it was the Cavs. Are you too young to remember that, Brendan? That series? No. What, what, what year? Or what, what season are you talking about? Two thousand eight. Paul Pierce and the Celtics. I can't. remember. Yeah, no, I can remember it a little bit. Yeah, they played. The, that was when they were in that Cavs, midst of playing the, maybe. the late. The Lakers, it was that right around that time yeah. when the Lakers were ending on Kobe's high anyway, street. Jake Luton yeah. just comes in and just, uh, that, that was a epic performance. Jake Luton, I don't know what's going to happen in his next two games, um, but I think when you look in, you know, 10 years from now and then you're looking back at this time, yeah, I think Jake Luton's going to be remembered pretty fondly of. I think you remember Jake Luton for the kind of the Marcus McMarion stuff, and I don't even want to get into that. And then I think you'll remember the Colorado game. Well, the, the thing I'm going to turn things around. I'm going to take it a step further, Mike, and say that maybe Jake Luton is the one that started the unraveling for Coach Mack and uh, Boulder. That's how I'll maybe remember it. So yeah. wait, waiting for that situation to play out, obviously, but. Colorado has not been the same team or anywhere close since that uh, that game against Oregon State, and uh, you know it's it's uh, you know it's 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 interesting how those things work. But I'll remember Jake. I mean, I, I think just about every Oregon State anyone that followed the team will remember that game at Colorado for a very long time, yeah. very long time. So yeah. awesome game. Yeah, it was uh, it was something else. <laughs> was That's all you can really seat. say is that it was something else, but. Yeah, no, it's going to be real exciting to see what the Beavers do this weekend. Obviously, you know, football season got just a couple games left, but Oregon State men's and women's basketball showing some good hype. Um, oh, before we jump off the podcast, Mike, I gotta we got to talk about uh, Brandon Kipper and Jake Levengood. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, obviously those two guys, um, I, fill me in here, Mike. I know Ki- uh, Levengood's more of the left or right tackle, depending. Kipper more of an interior offensive lineman? Uh, no, I think I think both can play tackle. I think Kipper is more projected as a tackle, and okay. depending on Levengood's size, I think I want to say he was six four, six five. If he's six five, I think he can play um, tackle. But I'll tell you what, I've heard really good things on both. Um, yeah. for kind of that time after, um, really right when they got in for kind of summer ball, and and people really start seeing them. Um, going through workouts and whatnot, I was hearing that people around the Valley thought that those guys both had real NFL potential. And I think, I think we're, we're kind of seeing that. And I know um, one of their fellow offensive linemen was, was really praising them uh, at practice on Tuesday. Yeah. Blake Brandell, you know, obviously Oregon state's left tackle and he'll be a senior next year. And, you know, you, you kind of think with Cami Delp and Sumner Houston and Trent Moore all moving on after this year, Beaver's got to solidify that right side and the center position. And, you know, we can, um, in terms of the center position, you can check out those premium recruiting nuggets for some good stuff on Oregon state's potential, uh, center options. But, uh, uh, you know, you got to figure Brandell and Lavaca are pretty much locks at left guard. And then, you know, Brandell came out today and said, Eleven Good and Kipper are the future of the offensive line. And that those guys were just, you know, they're, it's good for them to get some reps this year. And um, Mahalchek kind of already tipped his cap, I think, a little bit to what they're thinking about Levin Good, given that he was going to play primarily at right tackle for the last, you know, couple games that he can play and still redshirt. And I think. Him and Brandell would be a really good left tackle, right tackle combo with that size. 
Um, and then uh, you got to figure maybe Kipper can move uh, maybe right guard, depending hypothetically, maybe center, who knows. But um, he was impressed, and uh, Oregon State's, you know, it might not be the worst thing in the world for them to lose Houston, Delp, and more because I think it could allow them to grow um, from the better core, from the you know the best core of linemen. I think their two best linemen are obviously Gus Lavaca and Blake Brandell. So I think the line could be much, much better next year with a lot more uh, next level talent. All right, Brandon, let's put fanboy hats on. Let's go full hype mode. Let's, let's end the podcast on full hype mode for okay. the, 20, for the uh, 2019 Oregon State Beavers. All right, I'm, I'm going full fanboy mode here. I'm looking at the Pac-12 North. You got Garden Minshew's going to be gone. Okay, Jake Browning's going to be gone. Justin Herbert's probably going to be gone. That Garver's kid at Cal is pretty good. Costello at Stanford's pretty good. All right, all right, like straight up. Tristan Jebbia could be the best quarterback in the Pac-12 North next season. He's got weapons. He's going to be thrown to his old buddy, Tyjon Lindsey. He's yeah. got Bradford. He's got Hodgins. Um, hopefully, he's still got Togia. Who knows with Noah Togia if he can yeah, stay healthy. Uh, Isaiah Smalls, Tegan Quatoriano. He's got weapons. He's got the best running back in the Pac-12. He's got this improved offensive line. Brian Lindgren's going to be psyched as an offensive play caller next season. Tell me why this Oregon State offense next season will not be the best in the Pac-12 North, maybe the best in the whole conference. Give me a reason why. I'll give you two. Chris Peterson no, and Mike we're, No, fanboy. <laughs> I said fanboy time. No. Um, yeah, I mean, give you a reason. I mean, um, it depends how the, how the North shakes out. Uh, obviously, ty, uh, you You're not know. going fanboy with me, Brendan. You're not getting the point of this segment. <laughs> Say it again. Say it again. So what do you want? What, what, so full on, what are you looking for here? That Oregon State's going to be the best offense in the Pac-12, and I'm telling you to give me a reason why, but I don't actually mean that. You're supposed to just support me and back me up here. Okay, I'll, I'll back you up. So uh, best reasoning why, Oregon State's got all the pieces, all of them. Um, receivers, receivers with speed, offensive linemen, offensive linemen that can block, uh, a good quarterback, a dynamic running back. Yeah. Defensively, though, that's a whole different discussion. Bless you, Tim yeah. Tibisar. You got quite yeah. the job on your hands. Good luck. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's a, it's tough, but you still got Avery Roberts coming in, uh, Addison Gums, and like I said in those Nuggets, uh, those guys are uh, not Gums because he hasn't been in yet. But um, Avery Roberts is the real deal. Um, should be Toss. getting some help. Yeah, tossing David Morris and Jay Irvine, that yep. defense becomes oh. real exciting real yeah. quick. Best so defensive they're... backs on the team. Yeah. Um, should have some incoming junior college defensive linemen help. I think Elu Aiden, who, if you read my Oregon State Beavers Monday notebook, you know that Elu Aiden's actually the highest graded player on Oregon State's defense. Um, he has a, it's like a 73 or something, which is, which is like considered uh, pretty good. Nothing's fantastic. Um, but hey, it's it's good. I think Evan Bennett, if he sticks with Oregon State, Arizona's pushing for him. I think he'll play at nose potentially as a true freshman. So I think Oregon State's defensive line will take a hit with Kalani Vakamalelo graduating. He's been good playing nose and DN this season. Um, played admirable, admirably at best. You got Isaac Hodgins mm-hmm. coming back. He's going to be a year older and a year better. Linebackers, they got talent on the edge. Hamilcar Rashid. 
Um, which I always thought it was Rashid, but the announcers have been saying Rashid this Rashid, season. Rashid, yep, it's Rashid. Yeah, I learned that too this year. Um, and is, and actually, I've looked at the pronunciation guide. We always thought it was Noah Togiai. Apparently, it is Tongiai. I remember in the Colorado Tongiai. State game last season, the guy kept saying Tongiai. I was like, it's Togiai, but you know, what yeah, do we know? Yeah, um, what do we know, I guess. <laughs> outside linebacker, you got plenty of talent. Avery Roberts is coming in, inside linebacker, and then whoever's next to him, whether it's Shamar Smith or Isaiah Tufanga or Tufaga, who knows with pronunciations, but um, still got some talent there. Inside linebacker, David Morris, Jay Irvine, the back end. Um, Jalen Moore, I think, is still has a year of eligibility. Uh, Isaiah Dunn, Caleb Hayes at corner. Yep. I mean, I, I fear because going into that 2017 season, we looked at all the pieces on paper. We're like, okay, dang, got Bright Aguebu, Xavier yep. Crawford, and then those pieces didn't really pan out. But uh, going full hype mode, the 2019 team looks pretty good on paper at just about every position and getting those transfers helped, um, getting those 2018 recruits. Gosh, Oregon State did such a good job in the 2018 recruiting class with Tago and McCartan and yep, Jefferson. The list just goes on um, with, with the guys they hit, uh, really did a good job uh, landing. So. Shoot. I'm gonna put you. I'm gonna put you on the spot, Mike. Bowl game next year for Oregon State. Buy or sell? Can I go with hold? <laughs> well, uh, no, no, I'll give you a hold. I think because no, you know. No, I, I'm gonna say sell, and I think the over under for Oregon State next year is probably gonna be set at like four, maybe. I'd say three or three and a half, and I would probably take the over. I think Oregon State is um, a four or five win team next year um and and coming into this season um you, you know brendan you do different interviews and i do different interviews with other outlets and people ask me what what's your expectations as far as mm-hmm. win loss for this team and i said if oregon state wins four games in 2018 that will be a i don't think i said miraculous season but like that'll be a really good season for oregon state people and people are like what really like it's yeah. that low and i'm like yeah i think four wins would be really good and i thought Thought two wins on the low end, so we're, we're you know, you know, yep. going to be pretty accurate there. But um, yeah, I think next season could be four or five wins. Well, I mean, I, I I like how the schedule shakes up. I think the Beavers have a potential to put the college football world on notice early as they open, you know, Friday August, you know, in in August next year against Oklahoma State and Research Stadium. Jebby is, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, there's a lot of things that shake up the rest of the non-conference schedule is Hawaii and Cal Poly, so I think they can pick up a couple wins there. It really depends on how all the pieces fit. You know, we talked about it. You know, it's impossible to predict because 2017, that Oregon State defense was looking good. We're like, this is a bowl game under Gary Anderson. He's turning the corner after the Civil War win, and they fell flat on their face. So, you know, obviously that was a lot of external factors, but... You know, I, I like this team's chances of getting into the four, five, maybe even six win echelon next year if all those pieces fit and everyone's got to stay relatively healthy. You can't have Jalen Moore or you can't have uh, Jay Irvine, David Morris miss a whole season again. I mean, you cannot have those kind of injuries next year. It's a part of the game, but the good teams avoid them, the big ones. Yeah, you mentioned Oklahoma State next season, August 30th on a Friday. They play Hawaii at Hawaii, though. Um, and That's then- going to be interesting with that little. Uh, NCAA violation that those the Hawaii and Oregon State had. That's going to be a little interesting to see uh, Jonathan and Nick Rolovich go toe to toe in Hawaii next year. Yeah, a little bit of uh, saltiness <laughs> there. Um, Brandon Brandon Kipper, obviously too, right? Yeah. Um, 
Interesting. Kofense Hinson came from there too, and, uh, and so did Coach late, Leggy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, interesting how that's going to shake. I out. feel like I mean Oregon State's that's a home and home with Hawaii, and then Hawaii comes over to Corvallis in twenty twenty one. I feel like. Yeah. Nevada was that just a one game? Does Nevada just, even? See, no, I, they don't. They don't come back. Nevada. Yeah, Nevada good. had to cancel their home games, so those one offs aren't great. No. But again. On paper, Oregon State, even with how bad they, you know, were this year at times, they should be able to handle Hawaii and Cal Poly, and that would give them a pretty good chance next year. You know, you look this year; they were so close to getting two wins in non-conference, and um, you know, next year's team should be better. So, the future's bright, Oregon State fans. Yeah. Obviously, it's been frustrating this year, and you know, uh, Mike and I are right there. It's uh, it's definitely not as fun to cover a team that hasn't had much success but you, you know you can also appreciate when you see the good work is getting put in and i think they're on a much better track than they were a year ago and that's 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 a step in the right direction still a young team and yep. uh putting the fanboy hat on 2019 uh pectoral championship game we're, we're, we're wow. gonna be there covering it all right wow. all right mike i like it i like it, I like it. We'll, we'll, we'll keep that going all right um Let's see how long we've been going. All right, yeah, I think this might be our longest podcast we've recorded. Uh, if you're still listening, props to you. If if you are out there and you are still listening, if you listen to the full podcast, you've got full my podcast. Email me at beaversedge1gmail.com and say, Mike, listen to the full podcast. And uh, you can tell me if you thought it was great or if you thought it sucked. I don't care because I got you all, I got you like for an hour of your day. So, you know. We did a good we did a good job for <laughs> yeah. keeping your attention this long. Uh, so yeah, plenty of stuff talking women's basketball, men's basketball. So you got signing day on Wednesday for those two programs. Um, so our coverage at BeaversEdge.com for that is basically I'll be writing a story or two on basically Tinkle and Rubik talking about his players. I that's my probably my favorite part about signing days is hearing the coaches talk about their recruits for the first time. So make sure to check that out. Uh, but again, if you're listening to the podcast still, you're you're already dedicated and, and you're a yep. diehard Beaver's Edge reader, so you're already going to be checking it out. But Brendan, thanks for joining me on the Edge podcast. And listeners, thank you for taking uh, part of your day to listen to Brendan and I ramble. Thank you so much.